Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Screaming in Silence podcast, Mindfulness. For most of us, severe pain is thankfully a fleeting experience, but for some, like myself, it's a permanent companion. For the past 25 years, everything I've done or experienced has been accompanied by chronic pain. Yet, to the surprise of most, I consider myself one of the luckiest people alive and I'm thankful for this journey. Through this podcast series, I'll share with you my story and the insights I have gained that have allowed me this perspective. There are times where I feel I'm an imposter in the pain community. I see people struggling under the weight of their situation and unable to find a way forward. I read about their experiences with medical professionals, the treatments they have sought and the pain relief they are on. I read of their difficulty with depression and anxiety, of feeling helpless and angry. I hear of their frustration that no one understands and how lonely they feel. I see the memes posted about not being able to smile because of chronic pain. Seeing all this makes me want to offer help, but at the same time leaves me feeling sometimes like maybe my situation is not that bad after all. For the past 24 years of my 26 year journey, I haven't taken continual pain relief. I don't suffer from depression or anxiety. I don't feel helpless or angry. Sure, being in constant pain can be isolating, but I don't feel lonely. And I've pretty much always got a smile on my face. Because of this, even within the pain community, I've been told that obviously I can't be in pain if I feel this way. And it does make you think. But I am in pain. At times, horrific, torturous pain. Unending pain. Occasionally debilitating pain. I cannot grade my pain compared to other people's experiences. Pain is subjective. But I don't need to. Others have already done that. Complex Regional Pain Syndrome, or CRPS as it is often referred to, is ranked as one of the most extreme pain conditions a person can suffer from. On the McGill Pain Index, which has a range of 0 to 50, CRPS sits near the top at 46. There isn't anything above it. Kidney stones sit at 42. Amputation of a digit with no anaesthetic is at 39. Unprepared childbirth comes in at 36. Prepared childbirth at 32. Fibromyalgia is at 30. Non-terminal cancer at 26. Chronic migraines rank at 28. Toothache at 19. Attention headache is at 11. And no pain of course is a zero. It's little wonder that CRPS is therefore known as the suicide disease. I have two independent medical reports on my pain, brachial plexus avulsion neuropathic pain, that describe it as the most severe and hardest to manage pain condition known. Yet still, I at times feel like an imposter. This has been challenging for me. I'm told my pain condition is one of the most severe, yet I feel like one of the luckiest, happiest people alive. My experiences in the pain community, however, often don't stack up. How can I feel this way when I see people who are in the same boat as me, maybe even in less pain, struggling so much, angry, frustrated, hurt? Have I been diagnosed incorrectly? Well, lucky for me, my diagnosis is a sure thing, unlike many others in chronic pain. And I know my pain. With regards to scales like the McGill Index, I make no personal claim about my pain being one of the worst. I can't. I only know my pain. There is of course no doubt that there are many others in far worse situations than me, battling far worse pain. This is not a competition. As I said before, pain is subjective. So where my condition actually sits on whatever scale is irrelevant. But I do know my pain. I know it intimately.
I know the incredible crushing pressure. I know the burning of molten metal in my veins. I know the violent electric shocks I get through my upper body. I know the tearing of skin and flesh from my arm and hand. I know the stabbing and crunching and twisting of my elbow and wrist. I know pressure applied to my chest just below my collarbone amplifies my pain considerably and where my neck and shoulder are very vulnerable to knocks. I live and breathe this every day. I mention all this because it illustrates that I'm certainly not an imposter in the pain community, despite my occasional doubts. Because of this very real pain, I spent the first dozen or so years looking for anything that would turn the volume of my pain down. Even 10% would make a big difference. From trialling new medications, hypnosis, acupuncture, TENS units, mirror box therapy, nerve blocker infusions, to finally a spinal cord stimulator implant, all of which offered little with no respite. Along the way, I attended a handful of chronic pain clinics, and it was at these that I was introduced to a radical, if not slightly controversial technique called mindfulness. What was both interesting and slightly annoying to me was that I'd discovered this technique myself very early on in my journey. I say slightly annoying because this technique is often touted as the only available option for someone in my case, someone where all other options have failed, but it wasn't the magic pull I had hoped for. But even this would prove to be a blessing in disguise. I was told by specialists I sat with at these clinics that my philosophy and outlook was exactly what they taught, and that if they could, they'd hire me to teach this technique. This approach is not a magic pill you take once to fix what ails you. It requires constant work, polishing and perfecting. So when all other options were exhausted, marked by the failed spinal cord stimulator, I knew it was time to really make what I did have available work for me. Before we get into how I use mindfulness with chronic pain, we should look into what it actually is. According to the Wikipedia page on mindfulness, it is the cognitive skill of sustaining meta-awareness of the contents of one's own mind in the present moment without conceptual reification. In simpler terms, it is the skill of being aware of the thought processes and the patterns behind them, and realising that thoughts and ideas are not reality and don't need judgement. Mindfulness can trace its origins back to a significant element of Buddhist and Hindu traditions known as sati, which is the practice of to remember, to observe, and is based on Zen and Tibetan meditation techniques. A much more simplified overview of mindfulness is that it is about being present in the moment, in the here and now, without judgment. While the idea of it is straightforward enough, the practice of it is not quite so easy. Examples like remembering the first taste of a delicious meal, or a stunning sunset that captures us on a walk, are examples of mindful awareness, albeit brief and fleeting. It's not long before we are distracted by thoughts or activity that drives us away from these moments. This is where mindfulness can become challenging, to shut out all distractions that are interrupting our awareness. Some describe this as going from the doing state to the being state, or switching off autopilot. We can hone mindfulness by focusing our attention on the rhythm of our breathing or sounds around us, and every time we begin to lose this focus with distracting thoughts, gently coax our focus back to where we were. Like anything, this takes continual practice, such as playing the piano or learning a language, for example, until it becomes a tool we can employ at any time or place. Since the 1970s, clinical psychology and psychiatry have used mindfulness to treat a number of conditions present in psychological issues people suffer from, including depression, anxiety, stress, insomnia, high blood pressure and pain.
entities from schools, prisons and hospitals have used mindfulness techniques and programs to reduce stress and suffering, help children with special needs and address various health issues. There is peer-reviewed evidence that mindfulness does affect our well-being, for example with regards to lowering stress having a documented effect on overall health. There are those that feel that it has been over-commercialised and marketed and call for greater studies before accepting all the claims levelled at it. However, I personally feel that any improvement in the quality of life offered by mindfulness is of benefit to not only the individual but also the greater community. With respect towards chronic pain sufferers and the practice of mindfulness, there is evidence that in some pain patients we can see a reduction in suffering. In 2015, a study conducted by Fidel Zaidan, PhD, showed through brain imaging that those who used mindfulness as a treatment displayed less activation in the part of the brain that manages pain signals. The research also showed that some patients had been able to reduce or completely eliminate the need for pain relief medication through ongoing daily mindfulness meditation. Very often, chronic pain sufferers struggle with depression, anxiety, fear and anger with their situation. While these thoughts are normal, they can be negative and worrisome and serve to increase pain and suffering. How often are our own plights worsened by anger and depression and anxiety? Very often. It is common to hear people say their pain is worse when their mood is tense or low. Using mindfulness helps to centre our thoughts, to live in the moment without judgement, to not blame ourselves or our bodies, but to accept and embrace ourselves. My journey with this technique began very early on, albeit without the tag of mindfulness being applied to it. I remember being in hospital in severe pain, despite the best pain relief they could give to me, and needing to find peace from this fire that raged inside me. It wasn't a fire of anger or frustration, but one of intense pain that wasn't going away. The first step for me was to control my breathing. Typically, our breathing becomes sharp and short with intense pain, and I was quickly able to find a way of controlling that. I did this through lowering my reactions to the suffering I was in. The fact I was in hospital gave me the safety net to experiment with how I responded. While this did help, my pain was still both mentally and physically overwhelming. This was a whole new world to me, and one I was struggling to keep a firm grip on. For the first couple of years, I did rely on medication to numb me from my reality, but I soon realised this was no way for a person to live, especially not one in his early 20s. Combine this with the other reasons I've previously mentioned about wanting to get off pain medication, the regimented lifestyle, the self-created reliance on the pills, the long-term effects of taking so many pills. It wasn't long before I'd done away with all my medications and was now relying on mental fortitude to survive. And I look upon that as one of the best decisions I have ever made. Thankfully, I've never suffered from depression with regards to my accident. I haven't lamented the loss of anything as a result of losing the use of a limb or living pain-free. I can't tell you exactly why this is. My best guess is that talking to my mother in hospital and telling her that despite it all, at least I was still alive, made me realise exactly that. That I was still alive. People die every day. They go to work wondering what they will have for dinner that night, only to never make it home. They make plans for the next day that will never be realised. For many of us, that's how life will end, unforeseen. My girlfriend at the time was away that weekend. I had plans for her to come home and tell me about her weekend with a friend Vanessa. Those plans could have easily been snatched away. But they weren't. I was still here, still able to hear about her weekend. 
I can't deny that later on I did start to have some fears about what the future may bring, but thankfully I had the peace of mind to be able to rationalise why those fears were unfounded. So, while I wasn't battling demons of depression and anxiety, I was still struggling with the pain I faced. This led me to actively pursuing any treatment that may have offered some relief. As I mentioned, I tried many different options, all without any real success, and it was along this journey that I was introduced to the concept of mindfulness. This was a bittersweet moment, however. I had been using this technique for years with decent success, but it wasn't the magic pill I was hoping for. While that may have been the bitter pill to swallow, the sweet part was that because I had been thrust into this position, I could utilise the skill of mindfulness not only for my pain, but as I would find out, for many different areas of my life. It was in 2015 that after my spinal cord stimulator operation, I realised I was now on my own on this journey. I remember my specialist at the spinal cord injury hospital we have here in Christchurch apologising and saying there was nothing more they could offer me at this time and point. I felt relief at hearing this news. I no longer had to rely on others prioritising me, helping me, treating me. All of that, despite their best efforts, had failed. Now I would have to rely on myself alone, and that felt great. It felt empowering. I could give up the desperate and fruitless search for that magic remedy, and instead concentrate on what I could do for myself. That, of course, was utilising my thought processes that I'd developed over the years. One of the best realisations I had came from the description I could give of my pain. The crushing, the burning, the electrocution and so on. I know none of this is actually happening. I don't need to have whatever is crushing me or burning me dealt with. The knowledge of this was critical in making me understand that no matter how intense the pain is, there is no danger. I am completely safe. Even in the absolute worst of times. This observation was incredibly powerful. I could give up the natural fight that occurs during pain and just be a silent observer. I know my body has not betrayed me, so I'm not angry with my pain or myself. Knowing I'm not in danger means I have no fear of the pain, rather I embrace it. Not wishing that things were different or fearing what will happen means I could exist in the moment with ease. All of this allowed me to be indifferent to my pain, to be without judgement. This in turn reduces my brain's threat alert system, relaxing me. So my pain messages are less active, lowering the symptoms of what I'm going through, which lessens the amount of effort I have to put in. The less I focus and worry about my pain, the less my pain intrudes. It does not eliminate my pain, that much needs to be made clear. But it definitely helps to reduce the effect it has on me both mentally and physically, and has given me a degree of control. Waiting in a queue can be frustrating when we are pressed for time, and in situations like these, I can feel my pain rise with my impatience. Reminding myself that this is out of my control and just has to be dealt with without judgement, to stay in the moment and not worry about the time it is taking up, will in turn start to lower my discomfort. This is an improvement in the quality of life, the thing I've been asking for the whole time. The sense of power I get when tested to my absolute limits and I overcome that moment is incredibly rewarding, of course, but it gives me an even greater feeling of responsibility. If I have this much control in my situation, I no longer have to fear what I'm facing, once again reducing the impact pain has. There is no doubt for me that this is much greater than the 10% I sought through medical intervention. It's the reason I can live my life the way I want the reason why I take no medication, 
the reason why I can smile, remain calm and composed, and have a spring in my step, no matter how high my pain condition is judged on a pain scale. It is also the reason why sometimes I do feel like an imposter, because mindfulness has made my life far easier facing adversity than it would be otherwise. When I see people struggling in the pain community, my one desire is to be able to share my experiences with them. But as I alluded to before, it is not often welcome. Thankfully, I have learnt from this and reshaped my approach, and it appears to be working. I'm now finding some people are willing to give this technique a try. And why not? I'm not selling anything. There's no cost involved other than a change in the way of thinking and some time and effort. I feel that one of the misconceptions about mindfulness is that it is sometimes seen as simply thinking yourself out of pain. For me, this is not the case. It is about finding a way to thrive with the pain, of reframing it in a matter that works for you rather than against you. And I strongly believe that everyone could benefit from a little mindfulness in their lives. You don't have to be a chronic pain patient to have stress, anxiety, anger, frustration or depression in your life. We all know this world we live in is a busy one, with many demands and distractions. It's very easy to get distracted with negative or random thoughts pulling us away from the present moment. Concerns over the past or fears of the future are all too common. These fears and concerns can drive us to the point of being overwhelmed. Whether you are struggling with chronic pain or not, mindfulness, in my opinion, can help us identify what we can control, to embrace what we can't, to quash irrational fears and concerns. It can make us more compassionate and empathetic to others in our lives more patient and understanding. And I strongly argue that what is good for the bee is good for the hive. If I want to make this world a better place, the best place is to start with me. That wraps up this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and have a better understanding of the power of the mind. Thank you very much for taking the time to join me today. I do appreciate it greatly. I do feel that everyone can benefit from this technique, so please do share this with anyone you think could benefit from it. Until next time, have a great week, take care, and I look forward to seeing you again soon.